Thanks for checking out this message from Restoration Los Angeles. For more information about our church, including service times, upcoming events, and home groups, be sure to check us out online at restorationla.org. Well, now that you're feeling good, uh, let's go into the Word. <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, let, let's, let's pray, actually, before we start. Heavenly Father God, um, we, uh, we just come before you, Lord, knowing that you have our best in mind. You have what's best for us. And I pray that as we, um, as we listen to what you have this morning, I pray that we would be challenged and we would be, uh, have open hearts to what you have for us, your truth, the way that you see life. We pray in your son's name. Amen. All right. So, there I was, eight years old, Christmas morning, staying at my grandma's house because we always had a sleepover at my grandma's house on Christmas Eve to Christmas morning. That was our tradition. You wake up, you bolt out of bed because it's Christmas morning. The Christmas tree is decorated, there's ornaments, there's tinsel, there's lights. And my grandma has, has woken up early to prepare a meal. There's omelets, there's fresh toast, uh, there's chashu bao, which is a Chinese barbecue pork bun. And yeah, right? It was good. It was good. And there's fresh squeezed orange juice. But honestly, I didn't care about any of that. Because of course, I'm eight years old and I want to get to the presents the gifts. And so I'm, you know, I'm eagerly waiting. My brother and they were eagerly waiting. We're like, come on, let's get to it. Let's get to it. Everyone wake up. Everyone eat their breakfast. Come on. And so finally it happens. It's time to open presents. And I've got, you know, a small mountain of gifts there uh, ready to be unwrapped. And I, you know, grab one. I pull it open. It's a little one. And it is the Tiger Electronics Animaniacs little video game system. I don't know if any of you remember those, okay? I had to have those because I was not allowed to have real video games yet. And so I was very excited about this. I opened up a bigger one. And oh my gosh, it is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Battle Wagon. Okay, it's, it's basically a van decked out in pizza cannons. And this, I think, started my love affair with minivans. Um, and yeah, you laugh, but sliding doors, y'all, sliding doors. Um, I opened another one. And I'm excited, okay? It's, it's a little bag. It's like, okay, maybe it's a gift card or something. And it's and it socks. It socks. Who gives an eight-year-old socks? I, and I'm trying to, like, hide my disappointment, of course. I'm like, it's socks. I had a two-page Christmas list and, like, you know, in, like, tiny 12-point font, and, and socks was not on this list. I did not really want socks because socks is, it's clothes. I have tons of socks. My parents buy me socks at Walmart or Target. I don't need to go buy socks. You could have given me a video game. You could have given me a toy. It's a Hot Wheels, something shiny, something cool, but no, you gave me socks. No one really wants socks as a kid. But fast forward to when I'm, you know, 25 or 30, you open up a Christmas present, and it's socks? That's a good present. That is a good present, right? It was like, socks! Thank you so much. Steve gave me, like, a pair of Star Trek socks, like, three pairs of Star Trek socks, like, two years ago. I'm like, whoa, this is awesome! Like, socks are great because, okay, I don't have to go to the store again. My socks are totally getting worn down, but I didn't really feel like going to the store to, you know, spend a couple bucks to go get it. This is great. This is practical. Thank you for thinking of me. Sometimes we receive gifts, right? And in the moment, it doesn't, it's like, oh, yeah, thanks, okay, okay, sure. But then you gain a little perspective. You gain some more maturity, and you realize, no, that's, that's actually a really good gift. And we get to see gifts for what they are. And God has many gifts for us. But sometimes we get these gifts, and we're like, eh, okay, God, sure, I guess. I don't really see how this is a gift. But God wants to change our perspective. 
God wants to change how we see some things. We're in the series called Built for Connection, a relationship series. And last week, Jody started us off in, the, of course, the only one place that we really need to start, which is our relationship with Jesus, right? Jesus is our number one primary relationship, and all our other relationships need to be defined through that connection. Okay, I, I, I love um, the, the metaphor of kind of like putting on Jesus lenses. Like, you know when you put on sunglasses and, you know, you're, you're, you're using it to block out parts of the sun so it's like not so bright in your eyes. But the whole world turns a little bit darker, right? Everything changes a different shade of color. Um, and that's what I think what Jesus lenses can be like. It changes the way we see the world. Uh, this week, I had the honor of being invited by Marvel and Disney to go watch the premiere of the Loki TV series on Disney Plus. Um, I'm on this kind of specialized list of uh, Marvel fans, and uh, we get invited sometimes to go to these premieres and see it before uh, it it first comes out. And um, so it was a big honor, and I actually got to see two episodes. Uh, So I've seen, if you, if I know a lot of you have started it, and you've all watched episode one, don't talk to me because I know what happens in episode two. And I have spoilers, and I can't wait to talk with you, but I need to shut up right now before I spoil something for you. Um, But they invite us there because it's also publicity for them, right? And so they invite us there because uh, mainly most of this group are cosplayers, and I'm a cosplayer. I I love wearing costumes and uh, making costumes and doing these incredibly nerdy things. And so this was actually the first time that I got to really cosplay since the pandemic, like, I haven't actually worn my costumes uh, in, like, over a year and a half. And, honestly, it felt really good to get back in that spandex. Um, I'm, like, putting it on over my legs. Like, that squeeze, that, like, air squeeze is like, oh, hello, my old friend. It's like, ooh. Like, yeah, this is good again. This is good. Okay? You feel awesome. Um, yeah, I know. Pictures, right? Anyways. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's pictures. There's pictures. Yeah. <laughs> so... I, I, ch- I wanted to wear something a little bit simpler because um, I wore my Sentinel armor one year to a premiere, and that's like, impossible to watch a movie, and it's terrible. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to wear my Cyclops uniform, okay? My Cyclops uniform. Cyclops is my all-time favorite Marvel character. If you don't know uh, Cyclops, he's the leader of the X-Men, and his mutant power is that he can shoot concussive beams out of his eyes, okay? And in order to control them, he has to wear a specialized visor with his uh, material called ruby quartz, and it's red, and uh, it blocks it and lets them control these beams. And so, of course, I'm wearing a visor over my face. And so when I put on my visor, the whole world turns red. Like, everything is red, okay? All the people are red. All the lights are red. All the buildings are red. Uh, of course, I took it off to watch, the, to watch the, uh, the TV series. But, like, the whole world just turns red. And s- when we put on uh, glasses, that, that's what happens, right? Sunglasses or a visor, if you happen to do that too, then the whole world changes color. When we put on our Jesus lenses, the whole world changes. The whole world changes. Not for the worse, because obviously when it's all red, it's really hard to see. But with Jesus, we don't see the world as the world sees it. We see the world as Jesus sees it. And we have to keep that in mind. Are we going to put on our Jesus lenses so that we can see what he sees? And what he wants us to see this morning is, again, a gift. A gift, but it's the gift of singleness. Hmm. Singleness, okay? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, um, God brought me to the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, um, and actually some of chapter 6. And it's an incredibly long and dense uh, piece of scripture. 
and we do not have time to go through all of it. There's just lots in there, lots of uh, questions that could be asked. Um, and so I would love if you have a chance to go and read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7 and just soak it in because there's a lot of stuff in there that's like, whoa, this is kind of crazy stuff. Um, but a little background on this is that Paul is basically answering questions by the Corinthians. There's been some sort of discourse before this uh, book of the Bible, and he's now answering some questions that they may have, some that have to do with um, sexual immorality, some that have to do with relationships, and Paul's doing his best to try to answer their questions as best he can. And the, in the background, there's some sort of issue going on in Corinth, some sort of, uh, it may be a famine, uh, there may be a heavy poverty, maybe a persecution. We don't really know exactly what's going on, but there's a big issue going on in the background. And Paul is concerned that that all these Corinthians are being like, oh my gosh, this is all going on. How are we going to withstand this? And he wants to encourage them that they need to take their eyes off the temporal, off the temporary, off the world stuff, and move their eyes to what is big, what is holy, what does God see? Okay, so that's sort of the background of what he's trying to do here. And again, there's a lot to go over in this passage, but I want to hone in on uh, Paul's kind of theme verse on singleness here. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 7 through 8. And he says this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has a particular gift from God, one having one kind and another a different kind. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is well for them to remain unmarried as I am. Well, as far as we can tell, Paul never married. Okay? By the time he was uh, actually you know, executed, he never married. We have no record of, of him ever getting married. And he says to them, I wish that you could all be unmarried like me. Now, he does concede that he says, okay, but this isn't for everyone. Everyone receives their own gift. And so what he's saying is that marriage is a gift and also being unmarried is a gift. Both can be gifts from God. But he considers his celibacy and his singleness a gift from the Lord. So God views, it ended up in the Bible, so God views that singleness can be a gift it can be a gift. And it ought to shape how we view it. And it comes with blessings and challenges. But we need to see it from God's point of view. Now, singleness encompasses, of course, a wide range of people. Everyone in this room has been single at one point or is single now, right? Okay, if you're single, I don't mean to put you on blast, but raise your hand, right? Or, yeah, right? All the single people, all the single people, put your hands up, right? Okay, so if you look around the room, we have a wide variety of people. Okay? If you're not married, you are single. You have people who are young, some that are a little older. And you have people that are maybe dating, no relationship whatsoever. Uh, I don't think we have any people that are engaged here. Um, and we have people that have uh, come into singleness because of maybe tragedy. Maybe their spouse has passed away. Or they're single because they've gotten divorced. That happens too. And so singleness encompasses a wide range of people, each with their own dynamics and complexities. And unfortunately, we can't get into all of that, you know, in one Sunday morning, you know. Um, but I do believe that God has something specific that he wants to show us. And that is the gift of what can happen during singleness. But it's also a gift that all of us can access as well. Okay? So I want you to keep that in mind as we kind of go through this. Now, singleness has kind of had a variety of different opinions, right, throughout, throughout the world, uh, throughout uh, society. Sometimes the world views singleness as a good thing, as a gift, right? Because, oh, if you're single, you don't have to be tied down. You don't have the old ball and chain waiting for you at home. Happy wife, happy life kind of thing. No, 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 it's just me, myself, and I. 
I can date around. I can go party with my friends. I don't have any, have any attachments or commitments. I can just have fun, take you know, my relationships or whatever as far as I want. Uh, and, of course, you look at today. People are getting married later and later in life. They want to focus on the career, become financially stable, buy a house themselves. And there's nothing wrong specifically with those things. But sometimes singleness can be viewed as, all right, there's no rules, no restrictions, no one have to worry about me, and I don't have to report to anyone else. I can just do whatever I want. So singleness to the world can sometimes be a gift. But on the other side, singleness has been sometimes viewed in a negative light. And if you look at all those categories, dating, single, widow, divorced, they all are in a relationship to marriage. Marriage is sort of the focal point of that terminology. It's kind of interesting. It's as if marriage has been, has been cast as the primary goal. It implies that, oh, if you're married, then you've made it. Okay? And you've reached the sort of destination by getting to your wedding day. And as such, singleness carries a sort of negative stigma. Singleness, when compared to marriage, becomes a place of deficit. Oh, you don't have a wife. You don't have a husband. Singleness can sometimes be considered a place of unfulfillment. You're missing something. Singleness can be a place of transition, which in itself can be tumultuous, full of insecurity. And so singleness becomes a place to escape, something to graduate from. Somehow we strive for this, to, to leave this, this status, and of course that can lead to feelings of not being enough, feeling unloved, not measuring up. You guys remember the story I told uh, a couple months back when there were girls in high school and they were rating all the guys in the room, like, and they rated me a two. Obviously, I kind of felt like I was unloved. Like, you know, I wasn't after them or anything, but I was like, okay, well, that kind of feels bad, right? And I thought about, you know, uh, all my female friends in high school when, you know, they were all guy crazy and, you know, like, they were kind of listing out the criteria of what they were looking at, uh, for in a guy back then. One of them, she was like, I only want to date a guy with buff arms. And me, high school me, definitely did not have buff arms. I weighed like 115 pounds. One girl said, I will only date tall guys. I was 5'7". That's about average for back then, but definitely not tall. I only want to date white guys. <laughs> nope, not that one. I will only date someone who's really cool. Ladies, I like Star Trek, I like Marvel, and I like Star Wars. Am I ahead of my time because this is 1999? Yes, I'm ahead of my time. But will that get me a girlfriend? No. I did not meet those criteria, and I'm sure many of us have been in that boat where we did not meet the criteria of the uh, opposite sex that we were interested in. And, uh, yeah, it, it kind of hurts sometimes, right? You can have those feelings of, I feel unloved. I'm not worth it. I'm unworthy. I don't measure up. And when the voice is in your head, or maybe the counsel from the outside says, you have to change. You, no one wants you. You have to become more desirable. There's something wrong with you that can eke into our brains. The feelings of isolation and loneliness, fear of missing out, a constant worry, and anxiety that you may never find the one. Many of our cultures place a premium on finding a mate and bearing children. So there's this cultural pressure that we face all the time, too. You know, how many of you have been at, like, you know, a family dinner? And it's like, so, have you met someone yet? It's like, mm, that's, that's tough. Our media our stories, our movies, our TV series, romantic love is such a prevalent theme in them. Now, don't get me wrong. I love a good Disney movie. If you start playing A Whole New World from Aladdin or Love is an Open Door from Frozen, there's a 95% chance that I'm going to sing along and sing all the guy part harmonies. I will do this. There's no stopping me at that point. But this whole happily ever after, 
find your prince, find your princess, even finding your soulmate in this kind of grand destiny sort of idea, the knight in shining armor paradigm, it's kind of warped the way of our thinking. And we've placed romantic love on a pedestal, so much so that I think for oftentimes it becomes an idol for us. And I'm not saying that romance is bad and dating is bad. My wife is in the room. I can't say something like that. I don't believe that, okay? But there's a premium placed on finding the one. And when you don't have it, whether it's said or not, those feelings of missing something creep into our psyche and our soul. And unfortunately, maybe even in the church, this has become the case. I think if we're honest, in much of the church and in our culture, there's been a focus on marriage, okay? Again, marriage isn't wrong, of course, but there's been this focus on it that I've heard from many of my single friends that they felt invisible or ignored by the church. When it becomes such a focal point that their self-worth starts being based on this idea that they need to get married. You know, we've heard that, you know, the God is using marriages, and of course he is for the kingdom, right? He's using them for the kingdom, but then where does that leave the single person? Am I unqualified? Do I not have something to contribute? We look at church life and they have classes on, you know, we were in our marriage, we have marriage class on Friday. We have classes and books on strengthening marriage, raising children, marriage counseling. All those things are good things, of course. But when it comes to singles, sometimes it feels like there's only a scrap or two of ministry left. And maybe to the church, that sort of temptation and the trap of sex outside of marriage, well, then singleness becomes something to escape. Is a danger zone that one needs to get out of fast. And there's a rush and a pressure to get married. I've heard messages to single people that have said, oh, you just need to make yourself more godly, and God will bring you a spouse. As if, oh, if I just do this, then God owes me a spouse. But when that doesn't happen, it causes disillusionment and disappointment. And it carries with it the undertone of then you're just not good enough. Then you didn't have enough faith. Then you didn't repent hard enough or something like that. I think very often singles have felt, whether on purpose or not, whether done in a direct way or a passive-aggressive way, or maybe just an assumption based on their culture or in their own mind, singles have felt often like second-class citizens in the kingdom. As if by not having a ring around their finger or a spouse to share life with, there is something less about them that they are looked on as less than by their friends, their family, by their church, maybe even Jesus himself. In college, uh, I roomed with six, um, or with five other guys, and, and, and it's one of these, it's these friendships that, like even though we all live in different areas of California now, it's these friendships that can be picked up uh, really just like that, and, and I love these guys to death. They're all brothers in Christ. And, uh, you know, we would always kind of egg each other on in, in college about who was going to get married. And one, one guy got married, like, pretty soon out of college. And then three of us all got married back in t- t- uh, 2011, all within, like, six months of each other. And then there were two guys left. And we always kind of ribbed them a little bit. We're like, hey, so have you found anyone yet? Did you get married yet? Anything? You got a girlfriend yet? And even though we could all laugh about it, I think deep down inside we kind of knew for those two guys it would kind of eat away at them. And, and, and I actually had to repent of that. And I had to be like, you know what? God, you know, that's not necessarily what God has for you, and that's okay. And us making fun of you, that's only going to deepen your insecurities. And I actually had to repent of that. Because these feelings of loneliness 
and anxiety coupled with purposelessness and averted eyes and awkward conversations, it can eat away at us. You know, I've seen too many of my friends walk away from the church because someone who wasn't a believer made them feel more loved and cherished than the church did. Or maybe even the church made them feel loved, but because of that outside pressure that they felt, they walked away and, you know, decided to go with that other person because it was just too great. And, then, and you know, Satan basically derailed whatever God was doing in their life. We have all these messages and narratives about singles, all these different things. Is it any wonder why we have so much anxiety about what God wants? So I really feel like we need to stick to what God sees. What is his perspective? And, and obviously, if you're single, you may have a different experience. You may have experienced some of that. You may have experienced all of that. I don't know. But again, I want to I introduce this idea that God sees singleness as a gift. There is something good about being single. Okay? Because after all, Paul was never married. Jesus was never married. John the Baptist was never married. Jeremiah, Mother Teresa, Henry Nouwen, Diedrich Bonhoeffer. All these people did amazing things for the kingdom, and they never had a spouse. And I believe that God wants to give us this gift and let us see it as a gift. He wants us to unwrap the negativity that has been put around it. Singleness in the kingdom can be a gift. But how? Hey, we need to see how. So Paul says this in, in a follow-up to a statement about it being a gift. He says this. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 32-35. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the affairs of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about the affairs of the world, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried woman and the virgin are anxious about the affairs of the Lord, so that they may be holy in body and in spirit. But the married woman is anxious about the affairs of the world, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to put any restraint on you, but to promote good order and unhindered devotion to the Lord. So Paul gives us, um, gives this image of how single people... They can, when they're following Christ, they can be singularly focused on Jesus. Devotion to the Lord. He says, I don't want to put this, I don't want to make this a rule. I don't want to, you know, hold you to any restraint. But when you're single, you have basically full access to Jesus. Jesus has full access to you. When you're married, he basically says, if your spouse goes through something difficult, you know, and, you know, they're going through a tough time, something happens at work, something spiritually, they go sideways, whatever, you kind of have an obligation and the care to chase after them and take care of them. But that can often get in the way of what God wants to do uh, in your life. Okay? That, you know, there is a sort of truth as harsh as it may sound, right? Case in point, family life can be kind of chaotic. A couple of weeks ago, I was trying to, you know, study and get prepared for this message. And I did not get very good sleep because my son had, was having sleep issues. He was also peeing in his bed. And he peed in his bed, and he woke up, and he was very upset about it, and, and then my daughter, who was also sleeping in the same bed next to him, uh, she has eczema, and she was, she was scratching herself in the middle of the night, and she actually made herself bleed, um, and so she was upset, and then Ethan went back to sleep, and then kicked her in the head uh, accidentally, um, and then she woke up again. They were all screaming at each other and, and screaming at me, and I was trying to get them back to sleep, and it goes on and on and on, and it gets to like four or five in the morning. I'm like, I'm delirious. I need sleep, and I finally get like two or three hours of sleep. I wake up. I'm like, okay, today's my day to work. I'm going to try to get some work done. But of course, it ain't happening because I'm dead tired. And so I'm like, okay, I need to go take a nap. So I go lay down for a couple hours. And now Kathy was going to take the kids to go, uh, go swimming at their cousin's place. And so I knew that, okay, when I wake up, 
This is going to be some good, solid time. I can get some studying done, get some preparation done. This is going to be good. Spend some time with Jesus. This is going to be good. I wake up when Jennifer wakes me up. She says, uh, Kathy took the kids to the pool, but while you were sleeping, several things happened that we need you to take care of. Number one, the toilet is plugged. Okay. Surprisingly, it wasn't me, but the toilet is plugged. Uh, and we need to, Kathy's been working on this for like an hour. She's got a blister on her hand, and uh, she's now gone, and it's still plugged. Can you take care of it? I'm like, okay, yeah, okay, I can unplug the toilet. And also... Um, what if Addie's sleep diapers has somehow made it into the washing machine and has absorbed fully all the water and has now exploded and all of the absorbent little beads that are in a diaper have gone all over the clothes and all over the washing machine and the entire load of clothes has all this stuff covered in it and we need you to take it out. And in order to get it, I looked it up on like, you know, ask.com and it's like, okay, what you have to do is you take it outside and you have to beat them one by one like old days. Like I'm drying it, but I'm getting all this white sudsy stuff off of it and it's getting all over me and it takes like an hour and a half. Single people probably don't have to deal with that kind of thing much. <laughs> not too much, I think. Maybe the clogged toilet, right? But the rest of it, not so much. There can be some chaos in our family life. When you have kids... It is often hard to find time to spend time with Jesus. Honestly, when you have young kids, you can barely poop in private. Right? In one's household, there's multiple people. There's multiple preferences, personalities, emotional well-being, cultural baggage, life stages all rolled into one. It can be messy. Now, again, I'm not saying that this is bad. Okay? The Bible does not say this is bad. Okay? Paul's not saying you should not get married, you shouldn't have a family. But he is saying... That when you're single, there is sometimes a little bit less to deal with. There's less on your mind from, your, from a possible family. And with it, you have an opportunity to focus on what is vitally important. And that is your devotion to the Lord. 35. I say this for your own benefit, not to put any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and unhindered devotion to the Lord. Singleness can be a space, maybe a time, maybe a season, maybe a whole life that can be devoted to Jesus. This is what Paul discovered, that he could be simply devoted towards Jesus. Oftentimes with the added chaos of the family, and yes, there certainly can be chaos. If you see in my family, especially the little girl, there can be chaos. One can more easily find that rhythm with God and develop discipline, patterns, customs, little rituals for yourself. Spend time with Jesus so that you can grow deeper into his presence. When you're single, you have this opportunity. Singleness can be a gift because we have more unfettered, unfiltered, and uninterrupted time and space to spend with Jesus. Just you and Jesus. Now, of course, we all need that, okay? But for married people, it might be a little bit harder sometimes to find that. We do need to prioritize that, and it is a challenge for us, okay? But this is vital for all to grow our devotion to Jesus, to spend time in the Word, to be praying, to be meditating, to worship. We need to spend time there and find a life where we can be devoted towards Christ. Are we going to take that opportunity? Are we going to, to use this time that God's given us? Now, here's the unfortunate and honest truth, that when we say, yes, single people, you can spend more time with Jesus, it kind of feels like a consolation prize. Because when we think about it, especially in our culture, we often place that romantic love over our spiritual life, right? And I think, oh, yeah, thanks, spend time with Jesus, yay. 
Okay. Um, last week, I think, yeah, last week we took communion. And those little communion wafers, right, they're terrible. They're terrible. We all admit it's terrible, okay? Now, when I got my communion cup uh, before service, Addie came up to me, and she was like, ooh, snack. And she, like, totally tore it open and, and took my little bread piece. And honestly, I was like, that's fine. <laughs> that's kind of fine. Uh, and so when we took communion, uh, we, uh, Kath and I went uh, with Pam and Steph, and, uh, and Pam saw that I didn't have my wafer. And she generously ripped up half of her wafer and gave it to me so that I could partake with the bread and I'm like, thanks. <laughs> I didn't really want one. <laughs> I'm okay. I can enjoy bread another time, and, and that can be uh, my communion. Yeah, but then sometimes Jesus can feel like that. It's like, oh, okay, Jesus. Yay, okay, cool. You know, are we looking at romantic love? Yeah, that's a 10, but Jesus is a 2, right? Right? That's sometimes what it can feel like because of our culture. Maybe it's because Jesus isn't physically here. Maybe because it isn't romantic. Okay, the church tried to make it romantic. They had this whole dating Jesus movement a while back. Honestly, I kind of find that kind of creepy. Um, I get the point, but, you know, I don't really want to put Jesus in the same category as our romances because Jesus is so much more than that. Jesus is so much more than romance. Okay? Will we learn to treasure the presence, the companionship, the peace of the Lord? Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, but God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Does this sound like a, oh, thanks, kind of gift? No. Jesus is the ultimate gift. When we have this kind of revelation about our relationship with Jesus, we can see devoting ourselves to Jesus as a gift. This focus on Jesus and building and growing deeper in him, that is a gift. We need to move our view of singleness not as a place to escape but as a place, or a place of deficit, but as a time of opportunity to grow in what is really important. The, Paul, the Apostle Paul found this. And he says in Philippians 3.8, I regard everything as a loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have, I have suffered the loss of all things and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Our relationship to Jesus is the greatest relationship we can have. There's nothing wrong with getting married. There's nothing wrong with being single. Paul flat out says this in, uh, in, in, uh, in the same chapter. Okay? There's nothing wrong with either of those things. But the question is, will we view our relationship with Jesus as the highest thing? Will that surpass even our marriages and our singleness? Is Jesus going to be our number one? When we concentrate on building our relationship with Christ, we realize just how deep and all-encompassing his love is for us. We understand that all the pressures of the world don't hold a candle to what God is offering us. We can grow our trust in him that no matter what happens, no matter what relationship we have, he is what we need the most. Psalm 16, 7 through 11, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I keep the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also rests secure. For you do not give me up to Sheol or let your faithful one see the pit. You show me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is our Jesus. 
This is our God. That's the kind of relationship we can have with God, to have that kind of revelation, that kind of understanding in our very souls. And that can satisfy us. And we can trust what God is doing in our life. Even if he doesn't bring us a spouse in our life, we can trust that God has what's best for us. We have unity and communion with our creator. This is a gift. The one who saves, the one who makes us whole, the one who accepts us no matter what, who cleanses us, who sees our grand potential. This is a gift. If during your time as a single person, you struggle with loneliness or purposelessness, that, that, I don't even know if that's a word. <laughs> he wants to transform our loneliness into solitude, okay? And there's a difference between loneliness and solitude. Solitude, of course, is still being alone. But in Christian terms, solitude is being alone with Jesus and alone with his peace, alone with his joy, alone with his grace, alone with his love. And that is enough. That is enough. It's like we've always had the key. It's been with us the entire time. We may think, and the world may say, that, oh, you don't have it. But you do. God has what you need. God wants us to grow in intimacy with him first. And knowing this truth, cultivating this relationship with God, for the one who is single and seeking after a deep relationship with Jesus, you will find breakthrough. You will find the growth you are looking after. To know that we are not defined by our lack of one particular relationship. Rather, we are defined by having the one true relationship. We are not defined by our loneliness, but rather we get to treasure the opportunity to cultivate our relationship with Christ. We can shrug off the view of the world, even past church experiences, that tell us we are lacking, not good enough, and shunned. But instead, we can rest in the peace that we are truly and deeply loved and enjoyed by Jesus. In our singleness, we don't have to act out in our insecurities by chasing after whatever else the world has for us. We don't have to feel any rush to get married. In our singleness, we don't have to chase after, uh, you know, sex or anything else like that we don't have to rather we can grow and solidly or solidify ourselves we can solidify our identities in christ so that if and when the time comes we are more prepared to be married and raise kids but even if that time doesn't come we can find satisfaction in knowing that jesus is my full hope and joy and purpose we can be secure in knowing that jesus is the one relationship that truly is enough Again, I'm not saying don't date or court or whatever you want to call it, okay? I'm not saying don't do that. Okay? Paul himself said there's nothing wrong with wanting to get married. and says there's nothing wrong with staying single. But if we do date, our motivation should be towards finding a husband or wife, not dating around casually for fun or pleasure or sex. Okay? Uh, we don't have enough time to go through an entire sex talk. <laughs> um, that's an entire message in itself or more. Um, yeah. Yeah, sex talk. Thank you for coming to my sex talk. Uh, no. <laughs> Sorry. Um, okay, so I just want to say a couple things. Um, Joe just throwing me off here. Um, you know, it, it's not enough to trumpet what I think we've all kind of heard as youth, that sex is bad. You're impure if you do it. You could get pregnant. You can get an STD. Once you do it, you can never go back, right? I think we've all kind of heard those things. I heard those things growing up. And I think those messages hold some truth, of course, but they're really based in fear and shame. And I believe God wants us to think about it a little bit differently. Okay? And I want you to know that if you have had sex out of marriage, outside of marriage, you are not irredeemable. You are still truly and deeply loved. You are not beyond redemption. Okay? Of course, we are called to repent of it, but you are not beyond redemption. Not at all. 
I believe that Jesus wants us to have open and honest conversations about our sexuality. Open conversations about the pain, about the struggles. Those are real, okay? This is a real thing. And we need to be open and understanding. And God wants to have a complex and robust understanding of what God's best is for our sexuality. The world has turned sexuality into something to be sought after and then discarded, okay? More about the pleasure and the feeling and the performance. You can find another partner if it wasn't good enough. Or if you weren't good enough, they can just throw you away too. It's become a consumeristic model. And our sexuality is based not in just a physical need, but in the need to connect with others and find a safe place of belonging. Indeed, the Bible tells us that sexual union between two people is actually two whole people joining together, their very souls coming together. Th that's what it truly is. And we bring with it our anxieties, and we expose ourselves, and it's knowing another person. So when we place that kind of intimacy into a consumeristic model where rejection just happened just like that, it opens us up to even more loneliness and cycles of sin. This is why God has designed sexuality for a marriage commitment, where there is that firm commitment and covenant made. Now, of course, single people still have the need to connect, right? We still have this need to connect. Connection is vital to who we are. The first connection that we need to have, of course, is Jesus. It is the gift and that security and peace in knowing that we don't have to spiral into other places to find our self-worth. To know that all those other things, that the things that we chase, that doesn't compare to Jesus, and that we can have everything that we need in Christ. But the other gift that we get is the church. While it is, of course, true that Jesus is enough, God did not design human beings to simply be alone. Church, all people want to connect, even, you know, especially now more than ever as we're starting to come out of the pandemic. It is vital that we as the church take advantage of this time and this opportunity to connect with people. Connect with people. We have a chance to demonstrate that, yes, no matter what, no matter what relationship status you have, you have a place in the church. You have a place in the kingdom of God. Jesus wants you in his family, and he made a way back for you. That was for you. We have a chance to show this, that you can find purpose, meaning, and calling, as well as finding the deepest relationships in not only Jesus, but authentic relationships in the church. In the church, we remind each other that you matter, that you can be united with us, and you can be united with Christ. But to do that, we have to engage. We have to engage one another in connection. We have a chance to do this, to talk about our deepest pains, the highest joys, the harshest struggles, the greatest successes. But we have to be willing to do it. And I think if we're honest, sometimes married people sometimes have a little trouble connecting to single people. And sometimes single people have trouble connecting to married people. Okay? There's this sort of awkward barrier. But we need to see those come down. And we need to remember that we are all united in Christ. God has designed each and every one of us to be part of the body. We are each important. We each have needs to be met. We each have our own past. We each have our own purpose. God wants each and every one of us, no matter what relationship status we find ourselves in. Because if we don't, someone else will. Someone else will. The world has all these pretty things around us, whether it be a job that's going to suck the life out of someone, whether it's going to be a, a non-believer who takes them into another romantic relationship, friends who only want to go skin deep, social media, all these things can suck us into another place where God does not intend us to be. We need to be firm in making relationships with each other. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for, for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up the other. 
but woe to the one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though one might prevail against another, two will withstand one. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. We are here to lift each other up, encourage each other, walk each other through those tough times, walk each other through those insecurities, be Jesus to one another. That's the opportunity we get. Are we going to take it? These are friendships that go deep. That's what the church has to offer us if we take the opportunity to go there. Okay? There's nothing wrong with a shoot in the breeze, talking about the Dodgers, talking about Loki. <laughs> okay? We can do that, absolutely. But God wants us to go deep, to talk about real life. I don't know what God has for you. I can't guarantee that God has someone planned for you. I don't know the future. If it's something you desire, I will pray for you with that. I absolutely will. Heck, if, if you're looking, I have other single friends outside the church who are Christians. I'll, I'll put you on a blind date if you want. Okay? Nothing wrong with that. But I do, knew, I do know one thing, that Jesus has more for you. Jesus has more for you. And that is ultimately what we need to strive for. If you are single, you have the gift from the Lord and a chance to deepen your relationship with him right here, right now. God has more for you, and he wants to give you more of himself. You are a gift. He is a gift. And he has more gifts for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you have so much for us. And God, the world wants to warp our minds to all these other places. But God, you want us to see with your lenses. So God, open up our hearts to your spirit. Open us to what you have for us. May we see the greatness, the grandness of just a relationship with you. May we know that we can be fully secure in everything that you have for us. And God, I pray for any of the lies that um, have been plaguing people, any of the struggles that they may have felt. God, would you chase those away, wash those away, Lord, with your love, with your grace, and replace it, Lord, with you, with simply you. We love you, Lord. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast message from Restoration LA. For more info, visit us at restorationla.org and follow us at Restoration Los Angeles.